Well, friends, good morning. Um, happy Canada Day weekend. I hope you've had a good weekend so far. My name is Pastor Ryan. If you don't know who I am, if you're new here, we are very glad to have you with us today. Now, I want to preface today's sermon with a couple things. This text of scripture that we read in Matthew chapter 9, I'm not going to do a full um, exposition of this today. I'm actually going to save it probably mid-August into September because I want to do a bit of a series on the following three sections here on Jesus as Lord of the Harvest, um, this picture of him being the good shepherd to people who feel like they're shepherdless, how Christ is this comforting leader to those who feel harassed. I mean, there's so much gold in this text that I want to give good time to it, but I need a breather before I do that. So I'm going to take a bit of a break before we get into that. But today, what I want to talk about is something kind of special to me, um, and that is that this Sunday is my fifth anniversary here at Christ Church. And so I, I felt the last few years just Jesus impressing upon me that there are certain things I need to slow down and really take in special moments with him. And so I've actually sought to do this over the last couple of weeks of just really sitting in conversation with Jesus about the last five years, what he's kind of done in me, the things I see him doing within the church, and what kind of things he's saying for the years ahead. So if you'll permit me, I'd like to just do some reflections today. You okay with that? Um, when thinking about the last five years, I kind of have to go back a little bit further to what brought me here. Uh, moving our family, so family of seven, uh, with teenage age children, um, is not an easy thing and not necessarily something I'd recommend. Um, moving kids in that stage of life is difficult, difficult for them. And, and so making this decision to come to the island was a big one for us. It was actually quite difficult. And if I'm totally honest, I think it was more Jesus' doing than my own. I don't think I saw it coming. Um, and so the place that we had served previously, we'd been there for almost 12 years, had grown to be quite a large church in that time. And they were in a discernment process of us taking over the lead role of that church there. And it was widely, I think, anticipated that we would do so. I think we thought we would. We had been functionally leading the team and the staff for a couple of years by that point. And so we thought that was our next transition. But in the process of discernment, we came to this very clear conviction and understanding was that we were thankful for the time. There was real clarity for us around the fact that big church didn't equal healthy church. Now, small church does not equal healthy church. Okay, so let's be clear about that. But for us, I think we are kind of at this peak of what people expected and what they defined success in ministry 
to look like. And for us, there was a deeper definition of success. And it needed a different expression to be explored. So the conviction that we ended up coming to in the process of that discernment is that the gospel of Jesus should only be used to glorify Jesus. Seems obvious. But sometimes things get off the rails, become focused on the success of other people or power or control or different things. I'm going to talk about those things, I think, more in the fall. And there was this sense that we were meant to be a part of building something from the ground up that had a gospel faithfulness to it. I think what we started to see is that this means that the church has a responsibility to live up to its name through, a, through an authentic reception of the gospel. Like when a church is going to claim to be Jesus' church, then it has to live up to that, shouldn't it? that everything about the church should be about being his. And the primary piece of a true Jesus-glorifying church is a church that is devoted to receiving his accomplishments and depending on his accomplishments and living in his accomplishments in their real life, right? Doesn't that seem like the most basic, fundamental of what it means to be a part of the church? So we wanted to be a part of something that was just deeply committed to that fact. And for the institution itself, so the collective function of the church, should then function congruently with the gospel. Here's here's what I honestly believe. I believe that if a a non-believer or a young Christian within the church should be able to come to a council meeting or the vestry meeting, the AGM meeting, and feel as though they're witnessing the power of the gospel. You hear me? That's the that there's such a saturation of Jesus into the hearts of the people and the functions of the church that in every area that you experience the church, you would see the gospel you would see the presence of Jesus at work saving people. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't tons of imperfections. Okay, do you hear me? I'm not saying this equals perfect church. I'm saying when you're in those spaces, you see people's honest failures and mistakes, but you see a grace around it that's working in it and with it. The true gospel of Jesus sees the imperfections and the mistakes and the brokenness of its people as a sacred space where redemption's going to bloom, right? Isn't that core to the gospel? So what I'm saying is not this like show of look how perfect we are and how good we got it together. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying where we see the depth of the gospel at work in all of these spaces where you can see Jesus moving and you get an analogy or an expression of how good the gospel is. So even in our business meetings, people will be able to see something's different here. They, they care for each other's 
wounds and broken places and mistakes. They offer redemption and salvation for problems. They look to God's work in the cross to fix the problem. Not just what are the things we're going to do, but what has Jesus done? That they're a resurrection people. They believe in a good future. They believe in hope. They believe in change. They don't give up on each other. And that that looks like an overflow of expression of love towards one another. Isn't that what we want? Doesn't that seem most basic to what the church is meant to be? So this is what we sought to find. I, and part of the conviction was that I believe this to be the way of church revitalization, of church mission, and of church growth. Part of my role in my previous position was to study and read everything about all the numbers, and all the different models for church growth throughout the world. And here's what I found as I read them more and more and more and more and more. I started to see less and less and less and less gospel. The the primary thing was this idea that if we just look good enough and provide good enough programs, are trendy enough and sound good enough, then we'll get young people. And it was true to some degree. The problem is it didn't disciple young people. It didn't train young people in the gospel. And so it didn't lead to generational impact and growth. And what we started to see, especially in the West, here in North America, is that you have big church growth, but if you studied the region around it, all the small churches died. And what was left of all those small churches that still followed the faith went to the big church. That's what made the big church big. Kind of like the way Walmart kills all the local mom and pop shops. So part of the conviction was to say, I do want to be about church revitalization. As somebody who grew up in it and was ready to give up on it, I I couldn't help but believe that Jesus wasn't done. That Jesus was still working and that this was still his vision and his plan and something I couldn't give up on. But we wanted to do it in the right way. We're not trying to manipulate people into going to church or trick them, make everything so good, and then we're like, and have a little bit of Jesus. The goal is real Jesus, real discipleship, real change. So when I came here, what I was looking for was just a typical parish who loved Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus, and wanted to do things in the Jesus way. So that we could show, we could prove a concept that church revitalization and church growth is meant to happen through church's love of Jesus. Not through anything else. Not being cool, not being trendy, not sounding good, but just Jesus. So what we found as we started talking with the Council of Christ Church Oceanside and Wally and Allison Chin aren't here, we stayed at their place when we came and had meetings. But what we started to find here was the people who wanted the same thing, who were willing to buy into the concept 
and do the work. Because here's what I believe. The world will not hear the gospel clearly from the church if the gospel is not clear in the church. Does that make sense? You can put this one on my tombstone someday. Okay? The world will not hear the gospel from the church if the gospel is not clear in the church. And it's only clear in those who truly see their need for it. It's only clear for those who are desperately receiving it. It's not the, you cannot be clear about the gospel and be theoretical. It has to be real. That this, it won't be clear unless we're faithfully following it. And so what I was looking for was a soft-hearted, willing to go back to the basics, willing to be humble, tenacity to not give up on following it. And what we found here through Jesus' sovereign work, is the people who are willing to do that. I don't know if there's a bigger affirmation I can give than that. And how deeply thankful I am to have found that with you. So, this is what we were looking for. And then we had decided we were going to come here, and we were at a conference... And some of the, just before we moved, and there was a guest speaker who was a bishop from within the ACNA. And he was speaking, and before he could give his message, he was overcome by the Holy Spirit. I remember I was sitting beside our bishop at the time, Bishop Trevor Walters, and he leaned over to me while this other bishop was trying to stable himself on the pulpit because he was feeling the power of the Spirit so much. And he leaned over to me and he said, this is not normal for He's not known for this. And then he gave a prophetic word to the gathering. And his prophetic word was this. Is that he saw a picture of a church that was like a grove of great trees. Huge, hundreds and hundreds of years old trees that had been cut down to the stump. And from the stumps of one of those great trees, a shoot would spring up of new life. Right in the center of the stump. And that it would begin a restoration of all of these great trees again. And then he said this. This was an American bishop. He'd never been to the west coast here of Canada. He said that this movement would grow so large and healthy that it would restore that group of trees to be like a cathedral grove. That's not normal language, is it? of like great, healthy trees that would be like a cathedral. And he used those words, a cathedral grove. And I remember Jackie and I were actually quite in a state of grief over all the transition and how is this going to work and what is Jesus doing? And I remember we both kind of looked at each other like, that sounds like us. That sounds like what we're going to. That's our parish. Because one of the things we did when we were here so we went on a drive to Cathedral Grove, and then we came back down. After we walked the trees, we came back down to the beach in 
your neighborhood. And we were standing on the beach and we said, should we do it? And we so loved the island that we were scared to say yes to you because we didn't want to come for the wrong reasons. And I remember we looked at each other and we're like, how can we say no? Because it was a combination of this, like our deeply held convictions, but this, these promises, it seemed like God was speaking, and then what we are finding here in you and the parish. So I think I use the phrase like Mary, I've treasured up all these things, pondering them in my heart. We don't speak publicly about this cathedral grove. It's just something we've treasured in our heart to go, is this what you're going to do? Is this what we can hope for? So, as we came and as we settled in, this was exactly what we found. We found a people who were focused on the deeper things, the right things. They weren't looking for gimmicks. They weren't looking for some, some big show to convince people to come. They weren't looking me to wow them and entertain them. They wanted gospel. And so that's what we spent. The first year, we just talked gospel. And what I found is older demographics willing to go to the deep places, willing to be soft-hearted, willing to talk about the past, willing to be brave about receiving Christ to the hard stuff that they were dealing with now. Isn't this what us as younger folk are longing for? Is older generations willing to be brave about their belief in the gospel? for real stuff. And so after just over a year, I started to see this has real potential. We're making our work, because what we're cultivating by the deeper work is a real testimony that Jesus works. Because that's what we want to say to the world authentically. Jesus works for your biggest stuff, for your hardest stuff. Jesus does save, right? And so, just as I'm getting excited, we have COVID. And I would say this, just to ensure the purity of the build, Jesus gifted me with a season of deep weakness. Deep weakness. So in combination between the COVID stuff, Jesus said, you're not just going to ask other people to go to deep places, we're going to go to deep places for you. And so part of what he did over a couple of years in my time here was go through all of my, I would say, my ministry trauma. So I'm, I'm 20 years in, but also I'm third generation, so I've been in it from the beginning. And I remember being like a 12-year-old kid waiting outside the boardroom for my dad to come out of a board meeting and sitting there, just sitting in the dark and him coming out because he had been fired. Remember the drive home? I remember him crumpling in the doorway of our house and weeping. These were all the years that I kind of stored up. My fear about the church. Can the church be safe? Can it be good? Can the vision that Christ has for his church be possible again? all the different leaders I worked with. I'm going to talk about this a bit more in the fall, but there are different leadership styles of shame-based, control-based, anger-based, 
all of this stuff. And the way it showed up in my body was an anxiety disorder and panic attacks around public speaking. Some of the things I'm most comfortable doing, probably too comfortable doing. <laughs> so that coupled with COVID was a dark two years for me. My kids saw it, my wife held me up through it. I needed daily prayer, morning and evening, to get through another day because I was so scared of tomorrow coming. So, this is where the text for today comes in, 1 Corinthians 1 through 10. I did not come to you with lofty speech or wisdom, but desperate trust. And Paul puts it this way, that his strategic way of building the church was to decide within himself to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That this is it. Jesus and Him crucified is all we have to hope in. It has to be Jesus that works. It can't just be a rad-looking church. It can't just be a young rector. It has to be about Jesus and the power of the cross. Do you agree with me? So, that pushes us to a spot to go, I'm showing up on Sunday, holding on to Jesus to go, can you be enough for me and enough for us? And what we saw was Jesus continued to do the work. A lot of Sundays I would say to Jackie, well, we survived it. But what was happening is Jesus was taking his rightful place. It's about me, and I'm the one that does the work, and I'm going to do what I promised in the people. And so what we continued to do over years was cultivate a living testimony within this parish of people being able to say, I know Jesus for myself, I believed him for this, and he didn't put me to shame. And I'm moving forward in my future and in my faith. Stepping into roles of responsibility and function within the church. Paul goes further to say, I came to you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words. Some of you might walk away from my sermons going, well, none of that was plausible, but I met with Jesus. And I'm okay with that. Because what we want to see is a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I do not want the testimony of our church to be, come hear this worship leader. Come hear this preacher. We want it to be, come meet with Jesus. Right? And Paul says it's so that, all of this weakness is so that your faith might not rest in men, but in what? The power of God. That's what we're confidently inviting people to. And then not only that, but that leads to the deeper things. The deeper things that need to be taught and learned. The big issues that need to be wrestled with, but they're done so on that firm foundation. So I want to list four things that I've seen in the church that I want to celebrate today. The first is, I think what we have done is we have laid the cornerstone securely. 
We know what Jesus has done. We know who Jesus is. And we know how from the heart to depend on Jesus. So when new people come to us and newly saved come to us, we have a path for them to follow to know the same thing. Isn't that what we should be about? To know who Jesus is and to know the power of His salvation and to know how you can receive it. That's what we train people in. We're serious about discipleship in this church. So what you know what that's meant for us? Slow growth. Slow, sustained, consistent growth. We lay the stone in the heart, and then what we see from it in each individual life is deep healing and change. A reformation of your inner being. Isn't that our story? And that Jesus works for that. Because that's the thing. Our world promises help for all sorts of things. But none of it seems to be able to change the inner reality of who we are and what we struggle with. Jesus starts there. Proves it there so that you then have faith for the other things outside of you. But the big miracle is always internal. And what we've cultivated then in the life of our church is clear new DNA based on the person and work of Jesus. So our council, I'm confident to say, and I did this last year too with our vestry meeting and our AGM to go, new people, come to our business meeting because I want you to see the gospel. It's a big risk. I told my archdeacon who oversees me on the island that we do that, and I told my bishop, and they're like, you did what? You brought new people to your business meeting? Because it's the riskiest thing in the world. Because where do all the fights happen? In the business meeting. Where do all the grudges and the resentments come out? In the business meeting. Why? Because it's about money. So part of what we're proving is, is, is money our God? Or is Jesus? Do we call the congregation to generosity? Or do we live that out? As a council, is the gospel real and is it at work in this church? So what we've started to do, I think, in the last five years is we've established those four things. We know the cornerstone. We know how to receive him to a heart level. We know how to walk people through the process of deep healing and change. And that we're showing that in the actual structure of our church that this is our DNA. It's not a theory. We know it. And we know how to do it. Not perfectly, but we're on to it. Right? So we can confidently say, Jesus' way is our way. That's where we're at. Now, new problems are going to come up in the years ahead where we get to prove it again. And we're going to do messes in the process while we try to figure that out. But this is what we exist for. Now here's what I think Jesus is going to do in our future. This text of Scripture, this Matthew text, I think touches on a few pieces which I don't have time now to go through. But hear hear it just one more time. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. This is our calling to the island. This is what we want. Every city, every village, we want to be able to teach, clearly explain the way of Jesus and show it with power to change. The things people are carrying inside of them, their deep pain, their trauma, their wounds, their guilt, their shame, these deeply held problems that our world holds no solution to. We can treat the body, but we don't know how to treat the heart. This is where we showcase the goodness of the way of Jesus. That's our message. That's our jam. That's the zone we love to work in. And now we want this next part of Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were, what? Harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. And this is the great need of our time. Is we feel that. Living in this world feels like a harassment. Living in this world makes us feel helpless. And there's nobody we can trust to lead us. And let me be absolutely clear. I am not the answer to that need. Jesus is. So as a fellow follower, my commitment to you is to say, let's together follow Jesus. Desperately, clearly, devotedly follow Jesus. And to the rest of the world, we're compassionate to them. That we would have compassion on the difficulty of living in this world right now. We have compassion on people's helplessness, their inability to change themselves and lead them to the Good Shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I think this is the invitation that's coming for us from Jesus. You can put up the last slide, Karen. And I think it's my invitation to you today. The first thing is this. Would you come follow Jesus with me? I know I've been here five years. Maybe you're a little sick of me. That's okay. I, don't want, I get sick of me. By the time summer hits, I say to Jackie, I'm like, I'm so sick of the sound of my own voice. Somebody else talk about Jesus. And I will happily listen to that. But I, I think I, I'm asking you afresh to say, do you want to go for another? You want to go for another five years together? And follow Jesus into more new areas that require new risks will be just as scary as some of the other things we do. But we'll see more of the fruit and more of the beauty. Did you say you're not into that, Corey? <laughs> but let's be honest. Inside of us is not the only big problems. There's lots of big problems in the world, isn't there? And we're asking this question going, okay, Jesus, I see that you worked for me, but how do you work for this time? How do you work for this problem? Do you only help me inside but not help these other things? 
That's going to be the next leg of the journey for us. The second thing I would invite you to is this. Would you join in the work of building with us? I think probably what I've hoped to show in the last five years is how good Jesus is, how safe you are with him, and that the church can look like Jesus. With enough safety and care and time and loads and loads of Jesus. I hope it leads to this next stage to say, will you build with us? Will you join the team? Do the work with us. Will you carry the message? Will you showcase how it works in new areas? And then the next piece, I think, is this. Will you be a herald? Not that herald. Actually, that's a great herald. If you're just like Harold, I'm totally okay with that. But will you proclaim the goodness of Jesus and the safety of his church? Would you, having experienced what you've experienced here, find a place of confidence to go? I want to bring people who are without a shepherd. I want to bring people who feel harassed and helpless to find Jesus. And we'll do everything in our power here to be safe, to showcase his goodness, and not get in the way of that too much. So followers, laborers, heralds, and lastly, the last part of the prophetic word that the bishop gave at that conference that we were at is that this would be like a slow-burning revival. He said that it would move from the west coast of Canada to the east. And just this hopefulness about the church. I think the dream that we don't like to talk about too publicly because it feels so big is what if we could have a thriving Christchurch Oceanside that's strong enough, healthy enough, disciples well enough, trains leaders well enough that we can plant churches in every town, city, and village on the island. Like that's the whisper I have with Jesus in private. Can we take the island with you? And I don't just mean like a big church that, you know, satellites in video. I'm saying like trains ministers of the gospel. Where it's about Jesus meeting with people, saving people, and building beautiful communities. That should feel bigger than we can reach, bigger than we can accomplish. But it's not bigger than he can do. So here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't puff us up into significance. What it does is go, thank you for letting us see it for a moment, but how about you take charge of that? And we'll stay in the present doing the good work. The deep work, the relational work, the church work. And if it goes to something else, that's your job. (laughs) If it becomes something bigger, that's Jesus' job. Because we want to be able to say from the beginning, Jesus did the work at the start, and Jesus did the work in the middle, and Jesus did all the crazy things that you're still talking about. That's what we want. 
So I think in closing, I would say this. Thanks for letting me be your pastor. I know I don't always deserve that role in that place. And I've failed so much, and you've been so gracious. I think my hope has been to be honest about my failures so you can see that if Jesus can work for me, he'll work for you. Thank you for risking so much in your own journey. Thank you for being so honest and willing to be a part of this community. And thank you for even considering dreaming for the future with us. I don't take any of that lightly. You don't owe that to us. We don't expect that of you. Our hope is with enough Jesus dependency, you'd feel safe enough to do so. But I think from that place, our dreams can be big. Our hopes can be big. And that the glory of Jesus will shine brightly in his church. Amen. amazing journey. I feel the Holy Spirit really wants to minister to all of us through the ministry of Ryan, not only not over the past five years, but especially this morning, how blessed we are to have Ryan, Jackie, and their five near-perfect children. <laughs> and we are so blessed to have Peter and Mike as the people's warden. Three of us here, we've all had the privilege of theological education, but that doesn't make us any different from anyone else in this place this morning. God is moving. God is working through his spirit in this place. And so, if you feel so inclined, I'm going to ask Peter to pray specifically for Ryan and for Jackie to come and join us. And just reach out your hand as we lay hands on these servants. No pressure. He's ad-libbing. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's pray. Uh, as I sat uh, there listening to Ryan, and uh, I was praying that the Spirit would just uh, come upon him, and um, apparently it did, because that's when the tears came. His and mine. And so as a... As a a colleague in ministry, and I know many of the things he's spoken of has been through them as well. And so uh, it, it's not a, an easy life, it's not an easy road, but it is a, it is a blessed life when you have a, a group of people uh, who are committed to the gospel, who are committed to Christ, and, uh, and want to see that uh, lived out in the life of the parish. I said once that I would rather have um, a parish of 20 people who are absolutely sold out for Jesus 
um, than have 500 people where they were there for the music or they were there for um, the public view, they were there for their neighbors, they were there for any reason other than Christ. And um, because that 20 would, would then start to grow and become that, that cathedral and grove. So let's pray for Ryan. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this, um, this man called to your service, uh, this servant of yours. And um, we give thanks for his humility. We give thanks for his ability to impart the word to, uh, to break it down, to make it understandable, to make it powerful, to make it, um, and to express his passion and belief in it and that that become real and uh, powerful for those who hear. We give thanks for the vision you have placed in him. We give thanks for those who surround him. We give thanks for his family and the blessing that they are in his life and ours. And I pray, Lord, that by your spirit you would continue to empower, inspire, encourage, and lead Ryan and lead their family in the leadership of this place. Lord, that they would be true examples of where uh, all of us uh, hope to go. Uh, that he'd show us the path and um, uh, as you reveal it to him, and that we as a united body would follow that path as well. Following not Ryan, not worshiping the man, but perhaps the message and certainly the Lord who inspired it. So we thank you for his commitment, his conviction, his honesty, his integrity and especially his faith. And we praise you and we give our thanks in the name of the one that we follow and the one that we love, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, friends. Let's turn our heart to the table together.